Common Ground. Unearthing stories about how we live now and how we might live in the future. Hello and welcome to the final Common Ground podcast. My name is Jodie Marshall and as always, I am joined by Scott Twyhang. We are staying in Glasgow because Barmulloch have done something pretty incredible and become the first urban community group to access the Scottish Land Fund. Jim Hope is the Development Officer at Barmulloch and he is going to talk about the positive impact the Community Empowerment Bill has had. Jim also kindly walks us through his top tips if you're a community group thinking about making use of the Scottish Land Fund. We hope you enjoy listening. Well, my name is Jim Hope. I'm the Development Officer of Barmulla Community Development Company. The company was formed from another organisation known as Barmulla Tenants and Residents Association, which was founded in 1954, when this area was one of Glasgow overspill areas. The tenants at the time settled here, and whilst they had excellent housing in in an Almond Greenfield site, they had no amenities, so they got together and decided they wanted to build a a hall. Approached the council, the council gave them a piece of ground and a prefabricated building and said, get on with it. And quite literally, with their own hands, they built the hall from scratch because all the trades existed here at the time and everybody gave their time willingly to build this hall. Um, That hall, prefabricated building, was still in use up till uh, 2005. as you might imagine, a prefabricated building, it starts to age a bit and it was well abused and well used. It was a, it was a, a hub of social activities, not of economic development activities, because it, was, it wasn't until the 70s, the 80s, you began to realise you need to do something. And it was, never, it was never really for that, but we have people in the area, there were people in the area who had their christening there, their, their uh, 21st birthday party, their wedding and their funerals. Mm-hmm. That's how it was a much loved hall. So in 2004, the, the committee decided, look, we need a new hall, we better do something. They also get advice that the old type of tenants and residents club perhaps didn't fit the bill, <coughs> should become a development company. And they formed Bermuda Community Development Company in 2004. Um, 2006 they recruited me as a development officer and the job was for one year, it was a one year contract <laughs> to get a hall. <laughs> the hall opens next week. I don't know if I've been a success or a failure, um, but it was a long uh, drawn out thing and it went on and on. Uh, the upshot of it is we only ever had one big hall in a, la- in a, a large anteroom. With the new hall we'll have a uh, uh, a big hall, a lesser hall which connects which and, and a, a sliding door which opens up. We have a recording studio, uh, an IT suite and two offices upstairs which I'm delighted to say we've managed to let so we've got a sitting tenant ready to move in. When when we when we had to leave the, 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 the site, about 2003 it became unfit for use, there was no hot water in the toilets and so on. So we closed it down and we approached the Church of Scotland who had a church hall around the corner which was only used maybe a couple of hours a week. We asked if we could move in there, they agreed we could do it at a handsome price of a pound a year rental. And we've been there for about uh, six or seven years. Now, we were approached by a boxing club if to see if they could use the old premises. They moved in and things happen for boxers, things fall off lorries and so on, and they were able to do it up to the extent that it could be used, but they knew they were only in a temporary measure because we needed, once we got the grants, we'd be knocking it down. So one day we went to them and said, let's just get a start, you need to be out by such and such a day, and we were frantically looking around for premises because they were excellent um, tenants and they were excellent for the community, and the work they do for the community is incredible. So, at that time, the tower blocks, high flats used to be over there, dominated that skyline, mm-hmm. and they were being steadily emptied with a view to demolition. And this church here, All Saints, Roman Catholic Church, was built by the people who moved in, really raised every penny to build it, because it served the community. There's almost 6,000 people in these flats, you see. So, with the flats getting emptied, the parish priest told me one day it was as little as 23 
and his service. Yeah. So the Archdiocese of Glasgow made a decision to deconsecrate the church and amalgamate the parish with St Catherine's, which is a mile up the road. So when we heard of that, we thought, well, yes, I said, we better do something about this. So I went to the newly installed priest at St Catherine's and said, wonder if you could help me. I need a place to house a boxing club. And I'm looking at this churchman deconsecrated, his eyes lit up. He was a boxing fan. <laughs> so, get a long story short, the Archdiocese got word to us, if you can convince us within a fortnight, we should, we should sell it to you. Uh, we'll re revise our decision to raise it to the ground. So they did that, and then for two years we sat in here rent-free, and then we came to a decision that wasn't quite right, so we started to pay them £100 a month, which is, was nothing for the premises. We got the first Scottish Land Fund Urban Grant Award, and that allowed us to buy it. Uh, the deal to buy it went through last week. The reason it took so long, we discovered a mine shaft in the grounds when the lawyers were ready to exchange it and it's so funny that the lad who we dealt with at the Archdiocese development manager, he says, a mine shaft, you're a charity more, he said. It's not a gold, it's not a gold mine. Just for the record, it's an adit which goes in at an angle. A mine shaft be doing this, because but it's out, it's over in the back here. Um, I'll walk you over it. And they, so, so when the, that finally went through the fifty thousand that the uh, that we we bought the the, the purchase price fifty thousand didn't go to the archdiocese. Their customs to give it to the local church. So St Catherine's Church, lovely buildings, but their kitchen is well used and abused and outdated. I've got fifty thousand pound to do it up now. So it's a it's a win win Sorry. situation all around. Eh? It's a beautiful story. It's, it's a lovely story. Yeah, yeah, and um, so. So on top of that, I'll just finish a bit about property because we, we are now the owners of three properties. Um, the church the church hall that we'd moved into, um, it was it, ideal for us in terms of its location every way and we've been negotiating the Church of Scotland with you to taking it over, to buying it under the same option. Now there was another big development plan proposed for that. There's a very active senior citizens group who are about to be made homeless and we thought we could incorporate them in there. They've decided they want to go elsewhere. So uh, the option to buy is not no longer um, a necessary one because you only get a lottery grant. Well, it's changing slightly, but the lottery grant at that time used to be in the basis you had to own the property. Anyway, we've been to Church of Scotland and asked them and we've agreed three options. One, we buy it outright, hopefully another Scottish land grant if it goes. Secondly, they extend the present lease we've got, although a pound a year, I think they might be that. Mm -hmm. Or they might give us a, a repairing lease uh, for 25 years. Now, what I've said to them, there's a couple of wee alterations we'd like to make to it, which I won't get into just now. Mm -hmm. uh, so, if I were them, I would say, right, 25 year leasing, you do what you like with it, because it's always on their books as an asset. So, we're... That there was a meeting last week about the, the decision whether they should give it on what basis we give it to us. So I think they've more or less said it's going, going to go ahead. So what we propose to do is, it's well used just now the church hall. When the new hall opens, we'll take all the activities in the church hall, move them up there, and then we've got other sport-related activities to move into the church hall because of the proximity of the park. The park, when I came here at first, I remember saying to my boss, I was started to get this new hall. I said, the most important thing. This is Rob Royce Park. This is Rob Royce Park. And I said to her, I said, that's the most important thing a lot there. Now, we've been able to, as an organisation, we've been able to do certain things. Uh, there's now a multi-use games arena in it. It's the biggest one you can get, and it's well used. And... The reason we got it is because it was scheduled to go elsewhere in Glasgow, but it was a ground ownership problem. And the powers that be came to us and said, you've got one, uh, you've got to, one month to tell us why it should be in your premises. So we did. And uh, it's quite interesting. It's sponsored by Barclays Football Foundation. It's the only football investment Barclays Football Foundation have in the whole of Scotland. So we're hopefully might... Uh, 
extend it. Yes. Because the other thing we're doing, we're cut away from premises just for a moment, uh, we're doing something big in the park itself in terms of community ownership, in terms of community activities in the park. Mm-hmm. And Could I you think talk a bit about what the park, like the size of the park and yes. how you, and the, how it's set up? I'll certainly do it. Yeah. The park at one time was just uh, rough ground, as you might imagine, green, green belt as was, Glasgow Overspill came over and they built literally onto the edge of the park and it had uh, various uses after that. There was some light industrial things put in it, there was a quarry in it at one time, there was a coal bing, there was a coal shaft in it, hopefully well cut. Um, and it really was just rough ground and then they discovered, they discovered the biggest collection of frog spawn in Scotland exists in that park. I, I am just going to write that down. It's, wait for Gods. it, the man told me in deadly serious, 250,000, you know, it's the somebody. You know. Anyway, frog spawn, average. <laughs> <laughs> it has the biggest collection of frog spawn in Scotland, so that attracts, obviously, toads, sorry, that attracts herons. So there's two or three different types of herons come there. And there was two, there's two fairly natural ponds and then another bigger one. But we also have a herd of deer in the park. Now, it also has a seven and a half kilometres of pathways and roads. So it's got an awful lot of potential. Mm. What it doesn't have, is it's very flat. It doesn't have too many undulations and no big trees that we can sling these swings, you know, Tarzan type things, well, unfortunately. But where we see it being used to, to good effect in the area, is to get youngsters involved in activities in the park, sport-related, uh, other leisure-related activities, get them moving. We have a horrendous rate of heart disease in the area, a horrendous rate of diabetes, endless figures and diabetes and all the rest of it. We've got the lowest car ownership ratio in the whole of Glasgow. Uh, at one time, it was said that a boy at 15 here was not expected to live beyond 65. That was only a couple of years ago revise a wee bit now. But you start to see the problems we've got. So if we can get people to realise that the park offers them a lung uh, and a place where all these activities so much better. And there's a sad thing about our hall being late. The new hall is six and a half months late. Uh, we hadn't planned to do a lot of things. So they're coming to fresh now. We've got a, a bike a thon coming off soon. and getting a bike club into it. When we did the survey amongst the schools, primary and and high school, both genders, what's your favourite sport? Football. What's your number two sport? Athletics. We don't have an athletics club in the area. We don't have a history of athletics. We've got Springburn Harriers, but not in this particular area. So that's a cue for us to get something done. And with eight and a half kilometres of roadway there, it's, it's absolutely perfect, you know. So th- these are the sort of things that we're now uh, starting to get planning because I think the new hall will open in about four weeks time, three to four weeks time. So I want to start, when people come in, we're just going to open it and let them walk through it. Skeleton hall before it gets things, areas in it they can't be allowed to go into. And the idea is we're going to put posters up looking for people to join their bike club, to join this club and that club. And we also want to get an awful lot, uh, sorry, a strong emphasis on outdoor activities. Um, we want them to go away to organise clubs like, for instance, the Scottish Youth Hostel Association. They have um, camps in their premises where they take them gorge walking, hill climbing, um, rock face climbing and all the rest of it. Uh, and I've got some knowledge of that. My daughter works with the, 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 the Youth Hostel Association and uh, she tells me about the, how it's life changing for some of the kids. They go there the first night, they're crying. The last night they're crying as well because they're coming home. Yeah. So, so it, it's that sort of thing, and we want to get them as young as possible. Just to, for example, one of the development, one of the plans we have for developing the park is putting in a mini cycle cross. Now it's for four or five year olds, mm-hmm. you know, and it's so that they'll go on a bike, and if it's not their own bike, we're going to have bikes, mm-hmm. and they'll go in about this track, and they'll, they'll be able to change it, and they'll be able to have yeah, a ramp and so on. Nothing that they're going to fall hurt themselves seriously on and they've got all the protective equipment anyway. But it's just to get kids into the park and get them used to the outdoor life. The other big problem we've got 
is a lack of pride of place. At one time, mm. the place had almost full employment. I think I touched on that earlier about locomotives and so on. And it had full, almost had full employment. That's gone. It had two swimming pools. One in the school, the other one was in Barmilla College, and people were able to use that at their will. So there was a lot of pride in the area, uh, and that's gone. Swimming pools have gone, the excellent bus service you used to have in the town, they've all gone. Um, the employment's gone, there's a lot of standards have fallen. So you can see how people don't have a great deal of pride of place. And what we want to do is to bring this home to them. Um, it was a lovely, sweet cameo that really, to my mind, uh, highlighted it. The, the local nature reserve has swans, and one day one of them appeared at the shops. <laughs> Never be getting a panic, not because of the swan there, but it might, something might happen to it. So the women, <laughs> three or four women, bought food, bought food, and walked in front of this spawn, swan, throwing a bit of food down, to it got back to its natural habitat. I thought so, well done. But somebody says, I'll be back the next day. <laughs> it didn't actually. But, you know, it's a lovely wee story about how people yeah. really care. And we've got a lot of decent, decent people here. Uh, just the, our circumst the circumstances beyond our control have resulted in the problems we have. We're an awful lot of vulnerable people, vulnerable families. They come in to see us, and the sad thing is they've got kiddies in tow. Going to be a generational, a generational problem with that sort of thing. So we see, we see the park, and we see land and buildings essential to, to changing all that. So do you see? You were talking earlier about taking on complete ownership of the park and, and yes. running it from the council. Could you talk a bit about? Yes, indeed. Um, we have excellent relationship with the council, both at the uh, department level. Always maintained that. And I'll tell you why we do it, um, how we do it. And we've always maintained we will never complain. Uh, Councillors are used to going to greeting meetings, as they call it. We have a greeting meeting as well, but hello, do come in, yeah. greet them well, sit them down. And their councillors and all the officials know if they've got to say notice, just that's fine, and go to another route. So much so that when I go on the phone to some of the officials, if I can't get them, I'll leave a message and they'll come back to me the next day. Maybe a text reply, but there's not an awful lot of other groups I know that get wait for long and weary. And, and I think that's a good thing. So that has shown itself in a number of ways. Um, Land Services Department, I'm told, well, the council we know is facing straightened times, and it's very difficult to maintain the park as they would like to, um, and they've had cutbacks. So uh, they've been more or less encouraging us to think about taking um, taking over the park. Now, I'm not I'm not so sure I want to do it in the name of BCDC, but we have another dormant shelf company, which I got registered charitable status for. It's called Friends of Rob Royston Park, and we want to put it into their name. Mm. Now, BCDC will probably have, you know, be made up of two representatives of each of the organisations, mm. so we'll still have a, an, an involvement in it. On top of that, the council are also keen that we work with them with a view to taking over the maintenance of the park. Now, if you might imagine that's the park. Uh, that is the local nature reserve. And apart from cutting the verge, you know, about two feet either side of the pathway, there's really not much to do other than removing broken trees because all these things, they were all habitats for various things. I wanted to extend a football park one day mm. and uh, I went to the committee in which I serve and said, look, can I have this football park extended? Oh, no, it'll take you 10 years in the Skylark nesting area. Yeah. So I took my other hat on and vote down my own proposal. <laughs> and I um, do that quite well. But uh, what, what, what we're trying to do is make sure that uh, what we do is in keeping with the, the, what the park and what the people want. And that's why... Uh, as I say, when they came to us and said, would you like to get involved in maintaining the park? We jumped at the chance because that means that we can have people take a pride in the park because if I get two men working in there, they'll have BCDC across their protective clothing and 
if there's a complaint to be made about things, you go and speak to these fellows, you know, there's always a complaint about the poo bins, you know, that's mm -hmm. um, and And not only that, but uh, we can then plan other activities in the park, knowing that you've got, when I say ownership, not our park, but it's, it's something you can do. In terms of the maintaining the park, the interesting thing about that is um, we want just not to, um, not only to employ local people to maintain it, but bring in unemployed, um, possibly youngsters, and get them involved in soft landscaping skills and maybe pass them on to further education and give them uh, employment training by way of interview skills and so on. Now, we um, we see we see us doing that in a rolling programme, maybe seven or eight at a time, uh, and I think that would be good for the community to see that too. Yeah. Yeah. So the park has got... Uh, the park has got an awful lot to, an awful lot of influence in the local area, and it's quite interesting that uh, we are quite close to one or, one or two other areas of this problem. And you know the Roy Royson down at the bottom there, well they've got Glen Connor Park, and their wee group equivalent of ours, they're desperate to do things with Glen Connor. That's an excellent facility, and uh, so they have a board of friends of Rob Royson Park. They sit on it as observers because yeah. they want to do the same thing. The other big thing in the area that brings it close, I should mention, is the uh, Glasgow Housing Association. Um, there are two lo local housing offices. One is Unity, which is Bermulloch. Another one is Royston, it's Royston Corridor, it's called, for doing near towards um, Royston, you know, along the, the road there. I'm trying, I'm trying to remember the name of it, I forgot my Anyway. They've recently mayors, I'm a member of the, one of those committees, I was a member of the, the Unity Housing Committee. They've recently mayors, and it's been a good thing because uh, GHA obviously want to um, rationalise some of their activities. But because we've come together, there's so much we can learn from each other. Mm. And that's been, a, that's been a good one. Their problem is lack of um, facilities as well. And just to give you an example, there's a, a school doing there uh, St Rock School that still has a ridiculous Red Blaze football park. Uh, it has a gymnasium that someone told me who plays volleyball so is unsafe to use. Um, they also have uh, an old church up the, up the hill which really is not used sufficiently well enough just now. And, and I think these are targets for that group down there to look at the empowerment bill and see if we can take over some of these things. That's great, I know you handed us out this um, Mother Community Development Company idea um, plan 2016 to 2021. I know you've maybe covered some of it already, but is yeah. it, you know, how do you see the company growing over the next five, five years? Well, we know that we we're going to have premises, we didn't have them two years ago, and now we've got them, and what we're trying to do is plan towards utilising these premises for company and community effect. Now, um, whatever we do as an organisation, we've got to stand alone, we can't throw money away, uh, we've got to make money in order to cover our costs. So, covering this, but that part, very briefly, if we're able to lay out the premises as we'd like to, and even at an eight, a 60 per, 70% um, estimate, it will bring in about 35 grand a year, which will cover an awful lot of our revenue costs. Yeah. So that's good. But in, in planning for the future, what we, what we said as a board, we sat down and we come up with a six areas where we feel we want to see an awful lot of things happening in the area um, to help the community. One, and they are employment, social, creativity and enterprise, youth development, health and well-being, education and sport. Now, we're not setting out to be the provider of all the activities under each of these headings. Physically, we just can't do it. Plus the fact there's other people who've been doing it for years before us and who are absolute expert at it. So what we want to do is bring them into the area and they use our premises to deliver. Um, I should have said there was a deficit of premises in the past, so now with the premises we can deliver these things. 
What we will do as an organisation is if we come across a gap in the provision, then we'll step in with something. Just take, you know, Toon Speak. So you take creativity and enterprise. That was a major coup, them coming in. And each, incidentally, each board member, every board member has a responsibility. And the lady who's responsible for that one, she's a cock a hoop. She's got the first <laughs> one running. But there's other areas we want to look at in terms of creativity and enterprise. Um, you know, Lego, for example, there are various, uh, various branches out of Lego, Brickmaster and so on which uh, we want to look at it, and this is to get youngsters to work with their hands, hand and eye coordination and so on. And so there's areas like that under it, the creativity and enterprise we might come up with ourselves if we can't find somebody else to do it. Uh, so that's, and that's how we're planning for the future. Uh, we've, we did the research for this, we did the planning, we produced the document. We're now setting out milestones for all of the things, which six and a half months late because of that damn hall and the way it is. So we're now setting milestones. We're setting up an evaluation um, um, uh, thing and then we're also setting up a review process. In other words, the circle comes round. So we're going to try and have that going on an annual basis rather than wait to end of five years because there's no doubt about it, uh, things will change. That's why when you see on our website the details of each of them, it's only, it's a... Um, hand knitted if you know what I mean because it will change as time goes on and as demands change. Yeah. Um, sorry to interrupt you. No, I was going to say in terms of the, the future of the company, what we're also looking at now, we have a, a strong governance plan, we have a governance officer, um, we ask our board every year anonymous to act in an anonymous fashion and rate 25 statements we give them about how we operate. So if they want to say you're absolute rubbish, they can say so, and we've had good results. But what we also want to do is, given that that governance seems to be good, we want to keep it that way. And we've had someone, uh, someone's just about to do a business health check on us at our request, because there's a couple of areas we really want, we really feel we're a wee bit weak on. One is risk management. I've got a professional background, so I'd like to think I'm really good at it, but then I'm not going to be here all the time. So I want to try and instill the aspects of risk management into people, tell how to look out for things. I want to look at succession planning, because we have a joke about a big red bus coming around the corner. And it can come around at any time and leave us uh, with a deficit in terms of the right type of people. Uh, so we're looking at succession planning. I want to look at that succession planning in the local area. Uh, I'll come back to that in a minute. And the third one I want to look at is volunteering. If we're going to get pride of place, we feel we need to inspire people. Now, just in that vein, there's a course runs in here on a Tuesday. It's called the Thriving Survivors. And it's for people who've gone through trauma, whether it be drug, alcohol, abuse, violence, whatever. And it's to make them realise, wait a minute, you are worth, you know, it's a motivational thing. And the lady that runs it, was a survivor herself, so she knows where she's coming from. And she, she started up this up as a business, went looking for money, of course, not a lot of money available for that. But somebody took a shine to it and told some very high-powered legal people, and some of the names she's got back in her, in her board, and they put money into it, obviously. Mm -hmm. It's a, a who's who in the legal um, fraternity, I tell you. So, obviously, somebody's saying, what this girl's got to offer is right. So that's going ahead. So these are the areas we're trying to look at. Uh, I mentioned um, recruitment and succession planning and the fact we want to do it as much locally as possible. We first job, apart from me, the first job that came up was a centre coordinator for the new hall. And that person was supposed to take post in September. So we went about the recruitment process uh, with a view to getting someone started. And we put an order out that it didn't matter who applied from the local area, they had to be interviewed, whether they were totally unsuitable, had to be interviewed. And we had, uh, apart from one person who was probably nowhere near it, we had five very good candidates. And the person who came out on top of it was one of our board members who did everything to do with the, built, the, the new hall, set up the new hall. The other hall, she set up a booking system, looks after it. She literally goes in and repairs toilets and things like that, does it all herself, that's her hobby, because 
she was unemployed for the years bringing up her family and up until about a year ago she was a carer to a laddie who had uh, autism and when it came to the interviewer saying the one thing it might go against is the fact she's got no experience but she can do the job she's in it and she's absolutely wonderful okay. uh, very good so and, and, we, and that we look to see uh, and we look for that for other people to see well look, that's good if that lady can do it we can do it so the, the whole idea is to try and make people in this area looking at themselves and say I can do that or I want to do that at a gala day I have a gala day every year, see in the park. I wasn't, I'd call it see in the park, I hope that Stuart McLumford would sue us, you know, but he hasn't done it yet, damn it. Uh, see in the park for, cons <laughs> for conservation. Uh, we, we, another link, we've got a huge um, conservation team operates in the park, and it's the city council, and we're very close to them, so the see in the park stood for conservation, commitment, and community. Uh, and we run that every year, and uh, have a pipe band comes in place. I'm a, I'm a nutter for pipe bands. And I remember a wee woman said to me one day, she says, Oh, son, she says, I never thought I'd love to hear the pipe band walking down the street in Bermulloch. I said, Where were you last year? She said, I says, We're here last year. Oh, I said, We're here every year for the past six years. Her house is one back from the, the where the route was for the band. Every year she gets a leaflet through her door to tell her the things on. But never knew about it, you know. And this is it. It's it's this apathy that people don't pick up a leaflet to read it. Oh, rubbish. And and we need to overcome this. Yeah. Well, a politician once said to me, "What's the answer to it, Jim?" I said, "Well, there is an answer." What's that? I said, "Give them all a job." And I mean that. No lot of people suffer because they don't have a purpose. Kids at school are growing up think, "What am I going to do?" I mean. In any society, you've got to have professional people, but you've got to have hewers of wood and drawers of water. And when the steel, the, the works were here, the railway works and so on, that absorbed hundreds of local people. Youngsters could grow up here knowing they were going to get an apprenticeship. There's nothing there. So, yeah, a job ticks all the boxes as far as relating to other people, behaviour, uh, commitment, you know. And, and I'm afraid it's uh, it's pretty sad. But so we're trying to do it another way. We're trying to get them involved in activities and life activities, life experience activities that might take them onto an avenue where they want to go, whether it be on the medical side or whether they get the leisure side or whatever, or whether it might just always be volunteering. Um, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Because there's there's tremendous amount of good people in the area. Absolutely. Um, the the um, police ran a programme here once, and it was called, uh, I'll come back to me. Anyway, they ran it in Barmulloch, Black Hill, parts of Springburn, Postle, and all this. And it was the police going up and every night in the week going to a set of place and working with the youngsters. And it was a policeman who designed it. And they started putting out figures to say there was a 35% reduction in crime. And the, the police inspector met him one day at a function and was saying to him, and he said, no, that's exactly it. He says, that's exactly it. He says, the, the crime has dropped. And we were just talking the other day about vandalism, and nobody seems to see the vandalism that they once had. We're going to go out to my car shortly and I'll show you some vandalism we did have when we moved in here. But the boxers found out who perpetrated them. Brought them to have a boxing club. Yeah. Them, Not a ballet club, a boxing yeah. club. Brought them in with their mums, and mums and dads made them join the boxing club, and we've had no trouble since. But yeah. I can still get the odd bit. Yeah. Um, I wanted to um, sort of go backwards a little bit and ask you. So one of the purposes of our podcast is to inform new community groups who want to access the land fund. And they yeah. don't know how, because they're brand new. So um, could you give them a brief guide to yes. what they should do? Yes. Well, anyone who wants to take over a piece of land or, or, or a property, uh, first thing they need to have is imagination and ambition. When plans like that come up, it only needs 
often it only needs someone to say it'll never work and then everyone gets depressed. You've got to keep going until such times as you have the facts and figures in front of you and then you decide whether it's a go or not. But don't be put off at an early stage, that's the first thing I would say. The second stage, the second thing I'd say is keep in touch with your local um, rep elected representatives. Um, they are a mine of information um, and also they have contacts which the ordinary man in the street uh, could never have. And it's important to, to do that, so they should be kept abreast of things at all time. If they tell you something can't be done, I would go back to my first piece of advice, investigate it further because sometimes um, they might have something in mind from the council point of view or whatever. Uh, so just speak to them, take their advice, but do your own thing after it. Because the Empowerment Act gives you an awful lot of powers that uh, the ordinary man didn't, uh, man and woman in the street didn't have before. The third thing I would say is try to aim for outright ownership of the land or the premises. Now, I say that for two reasons. One, it saves any messy situation further down the road. And invariably you'll find if you're looking for premises and or land from a local authority, you can negotiate a fallback period. Uh, as a chap down in I think it's Huddersfield University or something. He's come up with a scheme whereby you can either, you can set up a situation where a local authority can say, right, on you go. But if it goes belly up, you'll take it back into ownership. And I think that's important to have that fallback for the sake of community. But the other reason I say to go for outright ownership is you then can't be dictated to in terms of your ideas. Yeah. Your ideas might be poo-pooed or might not pass a planning test or whatever, that's understandable. But there is no plans if you, you own the property, you know, the sky's the limit as far as imagination goes. The other reason is that some grants, um, particularly a lottery grant, would only, at one time would only pay out uh, grant funding to people who owned the property. At one time, even a 99-year lease wasn't sufficient. It would only pay out to people who owned it. Now, I understand that's changing. I understand it's changing, and I won't put a figure on it because I, I'm not sure, but I understand it's changing to be a long-term lease. I would imagine something like 50 years you might consider. Um, but at the moment, and the, and the, without having that information, I would say the other main thing is to go and to buy the property outright. Um, after that, uh, the, the other thing I would say to do now, when, when, when this comes in, is uh, a moot point, but I think they should get a feasibility study done. Now, the funding for feasibility studies are easy, the funding is easy to get, awards for all covers it, mm -hmm. 10,000. Um, and if you can get an awards for all and bring an independent person in to do a feasibility study, and if that feasibility study proves, yeah, there's demand for this, everywhere you go you can produce that and say, there's a feasibility study. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting at the moment with a, a development plan, funding for a development plan for the park, mm -hmm. and I'm sure it's because we got the feasibility study then too. So I would say that's, that's vitally important. And then when it comes to the, the grants themselves, um, the big lottery are usually the bigger biggest grant funder, but they're also a mine of information for help. Mm -hmm. um, so I would suggest to them, once you've got, even at an early stage when they've got a notion of what they want to do, uh, before they even do the feasibility study, go to the big lottery and say, how does this fit? Now, it's their business to help organisations. They're not going to turn around and say negative things like, oh, it'll never work or that, no. They're there to help and, and they're excellent advice. Uh, and I would, I mean, I'd look at my own advice, the, only, the advice we got when we were working with the Scottish Land Committee, that was excellent because a lady came down from Highland Islands Enterprise to help us and, and it was amazing, cutting off a lot of corners. If you do try to do things on your own, ah, you can do it, but it'll take you yeah. a long, long time because most people working in the community sector are a, 
it's a part-time thing for them. They're, they're bringing up families, they've got a job or whatever, they've got other things to do. So it's a, it can be a wee piecemeal thing. And the other thing I would say is, and this is a bit far out, if it's a big project, if you can afford to pay someone, that would mean going for a grant for someone. And some of the organisations like the Robertson's Trust, uh, one or two others, if they see that your long-term aim is this, and if you say, there's a feasibility study, they would probably give you funding to take someone on. I was funded for a year, and then um, I went for three years and never get paid. But I was quite happy to do it because I, was, I could see something happening. And he, well, actually, two years. Um, and then another group, when they saw what we were doing, the Robertson Trust at that point came in and fund, part funded me for three years thereafter because they could see where it was all leading. I think the Robertson Trust funded the Mull and Iona community. Yes, they're very well. good. Very good. Ah, yeah. So, so the, the, the last thing I would say is that they should try and, and convince a funder to fund a, a post for that person to do it. Um, my, just to give you an example, my chair when I came here at first was a nurse, still is a nurse, and was bringing up three, three boys and a house to look after and an ailing mother. Now, there's no way she could have taken this on, absolutely no way. It's not because I had any expertise, in fact I made every mistake in the book, and I tell you, it's because it was here. And somebody would say, that doesn't work, that, that, that doesn't add up, what, why are you going to... Then I would go and look at it again and go and pick somebody else's brains. So, my answer, the, the key thing of all of this, although it's the last one I mentioned, is to get somebody who, uh, who can take it through. He's dedicated to it. Aye. You'll only get that person after you've got your feasibility study, you know, that's it. You convince people to give you the money, you've got something to go. Yeah. Um, so. And in terms of the, just the logistics of, say, and needs of like, the application process, and like for that, for the Scottish Land Fund, did you find that a painless process? Were there ways you thought that could be improved? Or did you uh, I, no, I found it painless. Having said that, I'm pretty well experienced by that time because we've I've made every, made every mistake in the book, you know, um, and yeah, and but they're, they're very helpful. There's no great problem. Um, the lady that I dealt with stayed uh, was based in Inverary, and uh, was only one day she was snowed in and couldn't get down. But that lady came in here faithfully and was always available at the end of the phone and so and so. Now there's no great problem there. And there's a wee thing for you. Um, there's a problem. I think for community groups, because all these things I say you need to do, the feasibilities and all that. Having, having time to do that, as I say, is a, pro is a problem. What I think should happen is somebody, a body, should fund, say for the whole of the city of Glasgow, three people, to help companies to do all the, three consultants, to do all the work towards community ownership. And they can be working with three or four groups at one time. You know, it's not as if we're giving so you... Just a dedicated... A dedicated... That's what... That, we're here, my hall, that hall is there because I was dedicated. Not because I'm any good, because it took ten years. Um, and it's only because I was there all the time. Uh, I got so involved in it. As I say, there was a couple of years I didn't get paid. And then a, a year after that, I only got paid half a year. And I decided, no, I've got to go elsewhere and, and manage to get money to set up a wee business. And then something happened in the hall and I thought, I can't walk away and leave it, so I'm still here. Um, but that, that's my point. It, an awful lot of groups will have great ideas that be getting things done in their area, but they won't have the resources, both in terms of personal knowledge, nor will they have it in terms of availability of hours and resources. And I, I think somebody should say to, I don't know, a consultancy group, uh, we'll pay you X amount a year to deal with four companies, and or four four bids rather. Uh, well, perhaps the same four top of the head. I don't think you'd manage one person out more than one of that in a year because it's quite involved. But that's if you ask me what the biggest handicap is to, or what will be the biggest handicap to companies taking. Mm. Uh, group community groups taking 
um, things for on their own. It's, uh, it's resources. They need someone to help them. Yeah. Well, hopefully more and more people will access the land fund. Yeah. Yeah. That that need will become explicit and so yeah. the city yeah. will start paying attention. Because it's in everyone's best interest, isn't it, that these, it is indeed. That these it is people indeed. exist. Aye. It is indeed. And there's, you know, the, you look at land and you think, oh, what could we build here? But if you look at land in another way, I mean, if you drive around about here, the amount of tracts of land, pieces of land, that are lying doing nothing. Yeah, I was, I was amazed, like, just cycling, cycling here up. Did you come that way or did you come... I come up Red Road. Well, that's the point. See that one? All, all there. Horrible yeah. looking. What, yeah. an, what an approach road to a place. Yeah. Pride a place. Yeah. It's like something from the 1950s. Yeah. Well, that's the, the thing there's, we do. There's a rubble and then there's all the... Yeah. See the roundabout there? Yeah. That roundabout is depressing. You know, I've said, suggest them should build model. I mean, these high flats were iconic. Mm -hmm. Well, about five foot high models there, right? Just, if you go, I don't know if you've been a Falkirk, every one of the roundabouts are, are, yeah. are themed, wee boats lying and wrecked on a beach or something, and never get touched, because nobody can go in the roundabout anyway. And, and, but it just enhances the place. No, I, I, I think that, yeah. I mean, Andy Scott with his big horses and all the rest of it, I think it's nice. Um, I, I, I like a bit of variety now. I got, I got my daughter staying Aloe and Clinton and he's got them all over the place and they're lovely. But it's all that wee piece of metal, you know, that's how he does it. Uh, I'd like to see some other. Yeah, things that are true, like on, say, the roundabout there, that's. And well, that's right. Just some kind of mm. Well, last, last year we got together another group and we put a Christmas tree up two years ago up in Wallacewell Road. And it was the worst night of the year when we were switching it on. The Glasgow light switch on was cancelled, it was so wet. We thought, should we cancel it? No, let's go ahead with it. And about five minutes before the thing was due to come on, there was about 12 people there. When we switched the lights on five minutes later, it was about almost 200. Mm -hmm. And we'd said, right, go up to a local uh, hall and we'll have mulled wine soup. And there must have been about 400 in that hall, it was choker, yeah. which proves People want these sort of things for the community. So last year we had another Christmas tree switch on. This time, better weather, big, big crowds. So what we're thinking in, we've got the Christmas tree site permanent. What we'd like to do is for the community to take over that piece of ground and create a place there where parents will bring their kids to go there and sit. I'm talking about the toddlers. Mm -hmm. And what we'd like is a Wallace wall with all that he did and a wee bit of history, yeah. so that a kiddie can trace it and learn about it. It doesn't need to be a Wallace Wall, but Wallace Well Road, Wallace fits the bill. But there's other things you can do with that. Mm -hmm. I think art has, art's got the ability to fury and inspire, yeah. um, sometimes equal measures. I think with a wee bit imagination, you could get more wildflowers growing. With a bit more imagination, you could get people, and there's not a flower bed in the whole park. And in this bit I was talking about, this bit up here, it's, this is where all the development will be mm. in terms of we've got a swing park there, we've got the mugger, I want a wee uh, raised bed, flower beds for the guys to work in, I want a, a workshop here to create a men's shed thing and so forth. Anyway, so that would all take place there, but I'd like a few flower beds, just formal flower beds for people to say, this is our park. Yeah. Now, I remember in Middlesbrough, uh, the approach road into Marysburn, the bit, bit two huge, um, probably about 15 foot diameter flower beds, and beautiful flower beds, and they planted them out. Next year they were all destroyed. They put them in the next year again, and they were not touched, and they're in there every year and not touched. And I'm a great, it's like us with the mugger. People say to us, it'll never last, it'll get vandalised. Never been vandalised once. Because you get people to appreciate yeah. their surroundings and take a wee bit of pride in it, then they'll treat it the way you would expect them to. You'll see our premises, we've got a facing brick at the front. When we built, designed the premises, it was a, the, the, my board that designed it, and what we said at the start was we want a wow factor here. We don't want a breeze block, yeah. square cornered, you know, reception desk like that. No, we want a wow factor. And <laughs> it seems to be killed because we're way overspend, you know. But anyway, 
Um, and it, it's going to be that. People are going to win it. And it's got, sorry, it's got facing brick at the front, um, red sandstone brick. And we, I know that that's going to get graffitied. It's a set. So it'll only happen once. Yeah. Um, uh, and I suppose I, I wanted to ask, um, and this is probably my last question actually, uh, why should communities access the land fund? What, I mean, you've kind of talked around the benefits, but in a nutshell, why is this such an important pot of money for people in Scotland to use? Uh, because it gives a community um, a chance to have ownership and have a, a stronger influence in what you do with those premises or that piece of land than might happen through a local authority. Now, that's not to condemn a local authority, but a local authority has other priorities. You know, our local councillor might be desperate to do something in this area and I agree with it, but if the local authority have, get, have to prioritise, then you might lose. Whereas if a local community group is there, they've got the focus, they've got the strength of feeling, and if they get the property or the land, it's theirs to do with as, as they will and it would work. Mm-hmm. I, I would say it's a... It's, it, I'll use it's happening now, empowerment. It just, it's giving local um, people uh, empowerment to do things. It's exciting, yeah, isn't yeah, it? It's really exciting. Well, thanks again for your time. Pleasure. Yeah. And if I'd like to take you to a tour. Aye, I'm taking a tour, yes. Thank you for listening to the Common Ground podcast series. We hope that you found them informative. This podcast was made by JC Marshall and Scott Twineholm for a Moments Peace Theatre Company as part of Common Ground, an arts project taking in theatre, podcast, installation, workshops and more to promote a nationwide conversation about land and housing in Scotland. The project is funded by Creative Scotland, Glasgow Arts and Glasgow City Council and supported by Platform, Dundee Rep Theatre, Comar, Wood End Barn and the International Network of Street Papers. To find out more or to get in touch, please go to commonground.scot. Thank you for listening.